for joining us for part four of Speaking Out on Pain Management. This series takes a deeper dive into multiple pain management topic areas, including implementation of pain contracts, non-pharmacological approaches to pain management techniques, care coordination, and pain assessments. The goal of this series is to provide listeners with useful tools and resources for management of chronic pain as it relates to opioids, and offering various perspectives from our healthcare communities and patients themselves. I am your host, Kristen Marino, Senior Quality Improvement Facilitator at Telogen, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Colorado, Illinois, and Iowa. Today, we will be discussing strategies in completing a thorough pain assessment. Managing chronic pain is a public health concern. A comprehensive approach to assessing pain is essential for establishing an appropriate person-centered treatment plan. There are many tools available to assist with evaluating pain. However, these tools are only as effective as the healthcare provider's ability in conducting a comprehensive pain assessment. Assessing patients' pain is an ongoing process that should be reviewed and updated on a regular basis and shared with the patient's healthcare team. We are joined today by Nina Leitz and Dr. Jan Gillespie to share their experience regarding pain assessments. We'd like to start off today's podcast by introducing Nina to share her story. Nina's been a chronic pain sufferer for many years. We hope her story offers a better understanding how a patient's perspective impacts their care and outcomes. Thank you for joining us today, Nina. Thank you, Kristen. Um, This is Nina. I'm 59 years old, and I have suffered from low back chronic pain for over 10 years. What started as nuisance pain in my low back in 2008 soon became debilitating by 2009. I went to see my doctor and I was immediately put on hydrocodone one every six hours and referred to a pain specialist for cortisone injections. I had these injections every four to six months. This did give me some relief. And for the next two years, I had a moderate pain level, so I was pretty happy with my pain care. By 2011, the pain was excruciating in my low back, and now was traveling down the back of my left leg, and sometimes my left leg would go numb, and they decided to do surgery. So I did have disc replacement. This helped for about two and a half years. When the pain came back, 10 times as worse. I was diagnosed with degenerative disc disease. The two discs below my implant were completely gone. Once again, I was put on hydrocodone once every six hours and referred back to the pain specialist for cortisone injections. After two years, Neither of them were working, so the pain specialist said I couldn't have any more injections because I'd had the maximum, and they were no longer helping my pain. And my doctor upped my hydrocodone dosage to two every six hours. That went on for about a year and a half. The hydrocodone was no longer helping my pain, and at this point, they had decided it's time for surgery. So I talked to my doctor, and this is what I encourage people with chronic pain to do. Talk to your doctor. I said... Right now, the benefits of the hydrocodone are being outweighed by the bad side effects. It's not helping my pain, and the hydrocodone is harming my body. So in February, I stopped taking the hydrocodone. I did this on my own over a weekend. It was very difficult, and I don't suggest this for all people, but what I did was I contacted my doctor, and I worked with my doctor, and along with him, we came up with a healthy and responsible program to get me off the pain meds. And in 10 weeks, I was off the hydrocodone. And he suggested some over-the-counter alternatives, 
which worked better than the hydrocodone ever did for me. And so I have been off the pain meds since February, and I am having surgery. And I know it's hard. I know pain is debilitating. It's exhausting. It causes fatigue. The pain is in your low back. It goes down your legs, into your shins. Sometimes there's numbness, tingling. You feel like you can pass out. I know how hard it can be. But there are answers. And I, I just think it's a great idea for you to have open communication with your doctor, find a plan that's good for you, and try to get off the opioid-based pain medications. There are other alternatives, and that is something that you should discuss with your doctor and come up with a good plan, and you can get back to that life that's pain-free and drug-free, and it's a life worth living. I did it. I know that you can do it, too. We appreciate Nina taking the time to share her struggles with chronic pain. Unfortunately, stories like these are becoming more common in our healthcare system, and it's patients like Nina that give people hope for a pain-free future. It's also important to remember to communicate with your care team. You're only going to help them understand your needs, and in return, they can help you. Now I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Jan Wagner Gillespie. Dr. Gillespie is a board-certified physician in anesthesiology and pain management located in Greeley, Colorado. She supports a multidisciplinary team approach when caring for patients with back pain. Dr. Gillespie has held multiple leadership roles in the medical and anesthesiology communities in Colorado and nationwide. Dr. Gillespie has extensive experience and knowledge around treating patients and the importance of reducing the use of opioids when treating patients with chronic pain. We're fortunate to have her with us today. Dr. Gillespie, thank you for joining us and welcome. Dr. Gillespie, based on your experience, what strategies would you recommend for providers that are conducting a pain assessment? Well, the first part is to take a good history of each area of pain, and that includes the location, the description, the frequency, and the modifying factors that make it the pain worse and better. Um, but the part and part about the location that I see that is frequently missed in a history taking is breaking in each area of pain and taking those different details so that in the uh, patient has a lower lumbar pain and a cervical pain, they have those histories have to be taken separately. And not only that, for the lower lumbar pain, you would need to describe the lumbar pain versus the leg pain. And then in the leg pain, we look for if the pain is in the area of a certain dermatome, whether it's lateral, medial, above or below the knee. And those are really important factors for helping diagnose what might be causing that pain. The second part of a pain assessment is what we call the four A's of pain assessment, and that's analgesia, activities of daily living, aberrant behavior, and adverse effects. And so the first one, the analgesia, is a pain scale zero to 10, but in itself, that is very inadequate for um, describing a pain because that's such a subjective pain scale. And later on, it becomes very important that the outcome of the therapy not just be tied to the pain scale. The area that I like the best is, is asking the patients about their activities of daily living and in particular how they're functioning and find out something that is concrete and measurable such as can they uh, walk to the mailbox? Can they go to the grocery store? Can they walk one block, two blocks? And I really wanted to find that in something so that later on after we have some sort of therapy or treatment that 
they can tell me that now they're able um, to walk two blocks instead of one block. But that is probably one of the most important parts of taking a pain assessment is finding out how the person is functioning. The other part is pretty straightforward, the adverse side effects of drugs such as constipation or aberrant behavior is um, whether they're overtaking their opioids or they have stolen medications. And unfortunately, in pain, you have to monitor those types of behavior and look for that. There is another category where you look at risk factors for opioids, and that would be the health factors such as um, COPD or um, heart problems that might make certain types of therapies um, contraindicated. Uh, we also identify opioid risk, and that would be along the lines of whether someone in their family or whether they have had alcohol or drug abuse. And the other important part of the history is sexual abuse, which affects a person's pain um, perception, and frequently it may be the actual underlying cause of their pain. Um, we also use um, risk assessment tools. There are standardized tests such as the Oswestry um, and SOAP exams that would help uh, a physician measure the risk of that patient. So that's just kind of a brief summary of um, a comprehensive pain assessment. Great. Um, thank you for sharing those great strategies around conducting an effective pain assessment. And moving on, Dr. Gillespie, can you discuss what would you consider to be successful pain management with your patients? And with your experience, how have you overcome this issue related to the patient's expectations of managing their pain? Most of the time, a patient associates success with a decrease in their pain. And one of the important points that in taking the history is establishing that level that they're able to function and letting the patient start to tie that back to their ability to function. So an example of this is if a patient's able to now get out of the house and walk further and do more, their pain may actually stay the same, but we have been successful in treating that pain and that the patient is able to function. So I go back and tie it to function and not just that pain scale. I'd like for the pain to go down, um, and that's a great outcome, um, but I also let them know that it may not completely go away, but that we're really going to evaluate how a patient functions, and that's the primary goal of uh, the pain treatment. So based on our patient story, um, Dr. Gillespie, what are some of the key takeaways um, that you have from her, uh, from Nina's story? Well, this patient described two different medical conditions. So at first she, she described radicular pain, which was probably due to a pressure on a nerve root, and later she just described degenerative disc disease, so she said that was her diagnosis. So she had two different problems that required different types of treatment. So the medical provider had to continue to take that history of location, description, and frequency as time went on and didn't just assume that it was one medical condition um, so that they could then apply the right type of treatment. The other important point that I saw was that there was more than one type of treatment. And so in this particular patient's case, they used opioids, um, injections, steroid injections, and then ultimately surgery. And so there's many types of, of treatment for pain, and usually it is not just one treatment that, that takes care of the pain. We use anticonvulsants. We use antidepressants, physical therapy, um, opioids. There is just one tool in our box. 
So usually more than one type of treatment for the best pain relief. Um, the third thing that I saw that happened in there was that the opioids were reevaluated, and prescribing opioids is always a risk-benefit analysis for that patient. And as the patient's situation changes, you have to go back and, and say, is this the right treatment for that patient? Are the risks too high? And she decided at some point that her risks were too high and the benefit was too low, and then she was weaned off. Um, the other thing I think that she did talk about her functioning, um, and that is, again, is a, one of the most important points. How is a patient functioning? And for that particular patient, she was very articulate. So a patient needs to be able to tell the physician where the pain is located and how often. And sometimes it kind of helps if you have an articulate patient like that, but otherwise you kind of need to tease it out of the patient. So there was some good points in her story that we can take away. Thank you. Thank you for providing that feedback. Thank you so much, Dr. Gillespie, for sharing those great strategies around conducting effective pain assessments. Can you discuss what you would consider to be successful pain management with your patients? Um, in, in your experience, have you overcome this issue related to patient expectations? Um, that's a very good question. Patients typically associate successful pain management with having decreased or no pain. And one of the important things during the discussion of their pain is tying it to how they're functioning. And so if the patient is able to walk further or do more things in their everyday life, the pain may actually stay the same, but they may be able to function better. So it's important to tie successful pain management with better functioning of the patient. We would like for their pain to decrease. We'd like for their pain to go to zero, and that may or may not happen. But it is ultimately the how the patient functions is the best outcome. That also might be reflected in uh, if the patient has better um, improved relationships with their family or they, they start to go outside their home and interact with other people. Uh, we look at the level of the enjoyment of their life, their mood. Has that improved? Because those are huge things that reflect actually that their pain is improving. Uh, we ask about sleep patterns. Um, if they're getting better sleep, insomnia causes their perception of their pain to increase. So if we can improve their sleep, that typically means that their pain has been um, improved also. So I think the take-home is really that how a person functions in their everyday life is the best outcome measure for improving somebody's pain. Thank you. Those are excellent recommendations when it comes to understanding uh, patients' expectations um, in regards to their pain. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Gillespie, for taking the time. Um, we know you're, you're very busy, so we truly appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Those are excellent recommendations when it comes to understanding a patient's expectations regarding pain management. Not only a patient's expectations, but a physician's expectations as well. We'd like to thank Nina and Dr. Gillespie for joining us today. The information that was shared is valuable and can help give listeners some perspective of what an effective pain assessment should look like. Please join us for future podcasts around pain management. For more information about pain management and opioids, 
You can visit Telligen's website at www.telligenqimqio.com. You can also stay up to date on healthcare-related news, workshops, and webinars by following the Telligen QIN on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.